Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Wanted to start by introducing Pastor Bill Buffington. Just maybe one or two minutes, who you are, where you're from, why you're sitting here. Right. Uh, my name is Bill Buffington, um, Pastor of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Uh, been great friends. I've been friends with Jeff, Pastor Jeff, uh, since, man, like 2000. So all the years that I youth pastored and he ran the camp, he would come and give the rundown at the camp. So I knew him all those years. And then um, uh, as he came to take over here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, it was, uh, I had a buddy down the street and um, just been a blessing to me. We've been talking and praying and um, you guys that are here, you watch it, you know that our world is, is bananas, all the things that are going on. And um, we're committed as, as men that love the Lord and love our churches that uh, the church, we really believe the church should be the place where people can find an answer uh, where we can bring stability and hope um, in a time like this. So um, so we're here tonight to, uh, I'm joining forces with my brother, and we're hoping to answer some questions and point some people to Jesus tonight. Amen. And the crazy thing is, you know, we planned having you here at least a month ago, possibly more. So the Holy Spirit must have known, <laughs> because he knows all things, that this was all going to go down this week, and we would have... An African-American man and a white man sitting on a couch sharing the love of God and yeah, fellowship. Yeah, for those at home, this is true. We, we planned this. It was just coronavirus. It wasn't no, <laughs> it wasn't no riots breaking out. But, uh, but for such a time as this, we are here. Amen. Amen. Hey, Bill, share a little bit of your, your history. So you're, you're, you're native, man. You, like, you, were, you were born raised in Inglewood, yeah? Born and raised, yep. Born at Sentinella Hospital in Inglewood, uh, 1975, do the math. And and you actually went through the the ninety two the Rodney King riots, yeah? Right. So at the at the ninety two riots, I was in between tenth and eleventh grade and uh, was not saved yet. So I was a participant in the mayhem uh, at that time. But yeah, I was I was here for the Rodney King trial and the, when the, all the guys were acquitted. Um, I was part of uh, yeah part of the guys in my neighborhood that ran out and looted and pillaged the. Crenshaw Imperial Shopping Plaza and other places. And you since repented. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he's not still doing that. That's, yeah, he's not doing no, that. He's, if I yeah. hadn't, I, I do now. I do. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, what a, it's such a blessing, you know. And Bill, Bill, you and I have spent a lot of uh, kind of time behind the scenes today just actually talking kind of about um, what's going on. And, and I think the question that's on everybody's mind is what do we do? What do we do? Where do we go? I, I think a vast majority of people see that there, there are huge problems facing us still as a country. Uh, with all the progress we've made, we still have, we still have a ways to go. And, and so what, what would you say in, in this moment, a very special moment in time, what would you say you would want to tell me as a white man how I can how I can help? What what can I do? Man, I, I'll start with what I would say. As I would say what not to do, and then I will say what to do because they're both important. You know, 
Um, I would say to a white brother, pastor, friend, you know, that's wanting to be helpful, I would say don't be dismissive about the things that are going on. You know, um, there's, um, you know, the fact that, you know, people are being killed by the police. Um, uh, some people are actually dismissive of that, you know, or, or defensive of it. Well, we don't have all the facts. I mean, we, we saw the video. We don't need no more facts, you know. So I would say not to pretend like it, 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 there's not a problem or it's not happening. Um, I think that would be the first thing, just not being dismissive, not pretending like there, there isn't an issue. Um, and then as far as, you know, what to do, uh, I think one of the most, one of the healthiest things we can do, especially when it's out of our context, is just pull up. I'm going to listen. Let me hear your heart. You know, I want to hear from, um, like, I'm not Mexican, right? But I had people that were Mexican that I knew that were really upset about, um, you know, when ISIS and all the things that were happening, kids being taken from parents. And that's not my struggle. So for me, it was, I needed to just, let me hear you out. Let me hear, tell me how you feel. Let me hear you out. I want to hear your heart so that I can, I want to, I want to want to care. I want to, I want to, I want to feel your pain, but I also want to be able to minister from a place of, all right, I've, I've heard someone that's living there. So I think that um, we can, we can listen, you know, and hear people out as we engage people. Um, and then we, we do know this, no matter what, whatever's going on in the world, um, we start to pray, God, how do we point people to you in the midst of this? Some of these things are, I mean, just, Satan just sending these missiles to disrupt and to cause people to look all over the place. And we know the answer is Jesus. And it gets thick sometimes even in the church. It gets cloudy where people want another answer. I want something else. And it's like, no, this is this is it. This is everything. And um, I, I think that's what we have to continue to contend to do, to not offer fake answers, to not offer um something that won't be substantive, even not to say things that aren't true. You know, I spoke to someone yesterday and, you know, we're talking about this whole thing. And I'm like, the reality is, you know, there's, you know, I've, I've read that we're, we're in Revelation in church. I'm, we're, we're at the end of the Bible. It ain't going to get better. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know that I could promise anybody, you know, if, if, if we did this, it would get better. You know, if we had a different leadership in the country, it'd be better. If we had a different president, it'd be better. If we had, if all the police were black, it'd be, I think, no matter what, as long as sinners are governing sinners, we're going to have problems. The problem is sin. The answer is Jesus. Mm. Um, and, and it may sound very simplistic, but when we break this down, the fact that a man is killed by sinful, it's sinful. Amen. And the answer, it would be Christ in that situation. Um, and I, I believe that with my whole heart. I believe the gospel is, it, it must be proclaimed. It must be believed. It must be ad- adhered to, uh, especially in moments like this. Yeah, you said something behind it as we were in the green room. It was so profound to me, and that was that you were having this conversation and you reminded the guys you were talking with, you know, we need to be praying for those police officers because they're facing time uh, in, in prison. You know, they have families, and I think that's so key to remember it in for all of us. I think each of us, we discussed this a little bit. I know for me, um, I, I'm prejudiced. Can I say that? I think I can say that. I, I'm prejudiced, and let me explain what, I, what I'm saying when I say that. I'm prejudiced because I have a life experience. I'm prejudiced because I grew up in a certain lifestyle, a certain place. I have family that think a certain way. Uh, I went to a certain kind of school district. I, you know, I have all these things that kind of make up who I am. But just because I'm prejudiced, not necessarily racially or any other thing, 
doesn't mean I can't change. But what occurs in my own life and what I've experienced is, is I sit down and talk and I learn other people's story and their prejudice, you know, the things that they have that are already in their heart that they believe to be true, which in turn become assumptions. This is the way they think the world looks and how they think it, it functions. Then what I do is I have to say, is what I believed is my prejudice true? And what I find out is my prejudice isn't true, that that's not everyone's experience. It just happens to be mine. And so then as I listen to people's story, I recognize that I'm the one that needs to change. I'm the one that needs to rethink why I think the way I do and how I got there. For me, uh, exactly the opposite of your situation. I, I was born in San Diego County, grew up in East San Diego County, um, which you know, we were not, I, you could you could almost say we have an entirely white in high school. I mean, our whole school district was white. You know, I mean, you, you, we were talking about you being a Lakers fan. Uh, Bill Walton and I played in the same league during high school. And so it was all, it was just, it's, you know, and we didn't even know that white guys were that tall. You know, there was, there was one anywhere in the world. And, and so my my thinking was, there's nothing wrong. This is just the way I grew up. But when I hear somebody else's story who's lived in inner city L.A. for multiple generations that's gone through the fear of stepping out onto a street and when they see a police car go by, they instantaneously, the hair goes up on the back of their neck and and they're afraid that something bad is going to happen. I can't dismiss that. That is the reality of that young man. And and what I've, I've... in my own self is like, because I don't understand it doesn't mean it isn't true. And I think that that may be the challenge for people that have maybe had a different experience. You know, if you've never been black, um, you've never been pulled over while being black, uh, it's just, just going to be hard for you to have a frame of reference, something you'd have to get from somebody else, you know? So um, I can say this as uh, just from my, my, my whole lifetime of experience, with police. I've had great experiences. I've had police pull me over and be nice to me. Uh, I have things when I was a kid and they gave me a pass and they were like, man, just, you know, they slapped me on the wrist and let me go home and were gracious. Uh, I've also had the racist cop. I've also had the cop that felt like um, I had a cop pull me over, pull me out and, and cuff me. And I, I was being compliant. I'm always compliant because I know, I know the drill. And um, I'm asking, why am I being handcuffed? He said, for his safety. So just without being belligerent, without arguing, without yelling, I, he felt unsafe with me being free. Um, and that, and the fact that they could do that is humiliating. You know, you're, you're on the street, you know, you I haven't, I haven't done a crime. Um, you know, there was maybe a traffic infraction, but it was, I'm in handcuffs in public. Um, it's, it's, it's undignified, you know, it's, it impacts you in a lot of ways. And so those are things where, yeah, my life's impacted. I, when I, I see it a certain kind of way and I don't, I don't put all cops. I know I know cops in my church that are believers, love the Lord. They're great guys. The guy that led me to the Lord is law enforcement. So I don't throw all cops in that bag. I know that they're just, but there are some guys out there that you, you live with that. So I'm a, I'm a black man that has black sons um, and you raise your sons, you train them. Hey, I'm, I got a, I got a kid right now learning how to drive. And so I'm schooling him. If you get pulled over, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta speak politely, <laughs> you know, you got to be submissive, put your hands in plain sight, make sure your stuff is in order so you can give it to them, no lip, save it all for when you get home. If anything is done wrong, just get home 
and we'll deal with it. And if, if my kid were white, I wouldn't necessarily feel like that was all necessary. I would just tell them, don't be out there speeding. You know? Yeah, and see, that, that's my, I think that's my point. I think that's what I've been learning, especially this last week, because I've had some really great conversations um, with some of my African-American friends who love me enough to tell me the truth and share how they're feeling. And, and so as, as I've listened, I've realized that the things that I thought were true have prejudiced me to think a certain way. And, and what it does then is it dismisses your pain. It causes me to think about the things that you think uh, in a different way. And, and I've had to say, well, I need to think more like Bill thinks. I need to see it from the way you understand it. And, and that helps me then have what the Lord would want us all to have, which is compassion, uh, to, to reach out in that situation and say, maybe I haven't lived that way. I don't know what it's like to live that way, but I can certainly understand when there's been injustice and, and the Lord cares about injustice. Uh, the Lord absolutely cares about hands that are swift to shed, shed innocent blood. That's one of the things that God hates. He finds detestable. And, and so what I've kind of witnessed is exactly what you referenced, which is people then begin to be dismissive of each other. And they turn it into a political thing. Um, kind of, can you help me understand a, a little bit of how you would see maybe that aspect of it? What is it that we're we're facing, kind of, when we, when we talk, um, especially in the church? Now, you know that I basically don't talk about politics, and I have a reason. I'll share that maybe after share with us. Yeah, I think, um, and, and this is directed in the church. Um, I think the church is a place where people come when they're hurting and they come looking for answers. And um, if a church is overly political and under over politicized and under Jesus, um, people are going to come in and be met with because, you know, po- politicians and they have their different sides of things. And so um, if people are coming in and they're hurting over this thing and they're being met with, you know, you, well, I believe this set of politics. And so we're not, we're not compassionate towards your plight. We're not, um, we don't have a heart for that. I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that would happen in the church. Um, in the church, we should be, we should be speaking with what the word says, you know, and, and there should be compassion because that's what, that's what Christ is like, you know? And so I, I am cautious about that. I, li- I know we're living a politically charged time and I try very hard to be little on that and to be heavy on Jesus because, um, that's Jesus, the one who died for me, you know, and, and he's the one that we're saying is the Lord. And so I, I want, I want that to dictate how I feel, what I do and what I would say to people that are hurting. Yeah. The apostle Paul said our citizenship is in heaven, right? right. So, so we actually have a, a different passport, you know, this place, amen. This isn't our home. And I, I think sometimes what I've witnessed is, is churches become more of a political action uh, committee than than they are a place where we're making Christ known, and again, that's not actually to throw shade on anybody. That's just simply to say I think we have to be super careful. I, I mean, my feeling is I feel like some churches have they're they're more American. They they've almost equated American Republican with Christian, and um, I I'm just Christian. You know, um, I'm in America, but I'm a, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm careful with that. You know, I, I think some people are very, um, almost worshiping. It's almost, uh, it's almost an idol. You know, our founding fathers are almost like they can't see any of the sins of this, this country. 
Um, and there are plenty. All you need to do is study a little bit. So um, the only one that's without sin is Jesus. And if I'm going to preach something without shame, it's going to be Jesus. I will not preach a country uh, or a leader or a person because they're all flawed and they're there to be seen if you open your eyes and look at it. So we got to be, the church has to be careful about espousing those things when we've been called to preach Jesus. And he is the answer. Um, the thing with Jesus is he's not discriminated. Jesus is for everybody. Uh, if I take America, it might not be for everybody. If I take a political side, it might not be pro everybody. But if I'm preaching Jesus, Jesus is for everybody. He died for everybody. He would save everyone that would come to him. And so that's what we should be proclaiming and preaching in the church. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, Jesus uh, preached to Roman centurions, I mean, who obviously were not only citizens of Rome, but were of the highest order of the police force, basically, uh, in, in Palestine at the time, you know. And so here's this, here's this model that we have of, of Jesus in that culture, and Paul also in that culture, and Peter in that culture, um, saying, you know, let's make the first thing the first thing, and then everything else takes its proper place. But if we make something else the first thing, if we make Jesus out to be white and Republican, uh, we have done a disservice to the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Yeah, I, I, I go through great pains every time we take communion. Uh, I don't put up pictures of Jesus anywhere because there is no accurate depiction of Jesus. We don't have one. And here's the thing. Every, every culture is made of Jesus after their liking. So if you go look up pictures of Jesus, there's blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. Uh, there's Japanese Jesus. There's dreadlock Rasta Jesus. Uh, everybody's got a Jesus that looks like them. Um, I, I come to people and say, look, it's the broken body and shed blood. And the thing with that is, it's for everybody. Body was broken for everybody. His blood was shed for everybody. And he said, this is how I want to be remembered. Um, so we don't really have a picture. So I don't portray the picture. Um, and some suggest that the one that we are most familiar with may have been Michelangelo's boyfriend. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, 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 or Max von Sydow. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. right. That, so, that didn't work right. really well. I either. just know that that wasn't him. So no, yeah. that wasn't him. Yeah. So Jesus did not have blonde hair or blue eyes. Everybody, um, we did get obviously a lot of questions about racism in, and I wanted to ask yeah. a few um, yeah. from you guys. So the first question is uh, from a woman in our church. She said, "You know, the entire world saw the murder of Mr. Floyd, and everyone detests it, is repulsed by it, and demands action." Um, However, she's asking, how should we as Christians understand the violence and the looting that's going on in conjunction with the protests? Can you help us yeah, process so, that? Um, and I would, I would say, as, as she said, and everybody detests it. And unfortunately, not everybody does, but most people do. So we'll, we'll leave that alone. Um, yeah, Floyd was killed. Everybody saw it. The, the video was long. Um, it's, 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 it's out on the internet for everybody to see. And so easy to see that that was wrong and and it was it's it, it was wrong that that man lost his life like that now um people have a issue now with in 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 light of that now there's there's looting and rioting now i, I want to be careful because there's three things going on there is peaceful protests which are which are right and good and, and they make sense there's a reason for them there's peaceful protests there's a lot of that going on then in addition to them separate groups there are people that are going out as opportunists to riot and loot. And so um, all of the protests are not violent and wicked. Some of them are very peaceful and they're annoyed at the fact that people have, 
have uh, hijacked their their time of protest and turned it into um, rioting and looting. However, um, for the person that would say, "Well, why do people do that? Why do people riot and loot?" You know, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't seem to make sense. Um, and I'll be careful to say first that I don't agree with the idea of looting and rioting. I think it's wrong. It's sinful. It's lawless. However, I do understand why people do it. And I would cite this, um, the Rodney King riots, which I was here for. Everybody saw the, on one of the earlier camera phones, everybody saw this man beaten to a pulp on national TV. Um, his skull fracture, teeth knocked out, bone broken. Um, and so everybody awaited the trial. And there was peaceful protests up until the trial at which all the officers were acquitted. Um, and so with that said to the black community is, you can be pulled over, beat to a pulp. It could be caught on camera and we can go to court for it and get off scot-free. That's what can happen. So that sent people into a, a, a non-believer as I was. I write it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, if, if they can do that to us, then the, 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 the phrase was no justice, no peace. If we can't have justice, that means we can't be at peace. So then the community's not going to be at peace. And we tore up and burned wrong that we did that. However, after rioting and they brought the civil trial, then we got a little justice. Then they said, okay, okay, okay. You know, we'll put these two officers, they'll do 30 months apiece and the other two guys will get fired. And I would argue this, is it wrong that, that we didn't get any justice on the front end? Or is it wrong that people rioted out of frustration that we don't get justice? And I think both are wrong, but one preceded the other. You know, if you slap me in the mouth, you're wrong. And if in turn I punch you in the nose, I'm wrong, but you slap me first. So, you know, it's kind of like that. That's if for those that would look at it and say, I don't understand this. It's it, it, not that it's right. Both of these things are wrong. And um, and we can some people can tend to focus on the second thing that's been done and not give any attention to the reason why it's taking place. This is wrong that they're doing that. They're tearing up our communities. You're breaking windows and, and, and it's upsetting to, to me that there are people that had nothing to say about Floyd's death that are bummed out about some broken windows and looted stores. That stuff can be replaced. Those people have insurance many times. That man's life is gone. His family does not get him back. They don't get it. They don't get, they don't get a do-over. And so it is upsetting that some people seem more upset about that the things are being damaged than the fact that we live in a world where a person's life can be snuffed out. So, um, so it's wrong. But that's a perspective on it that I would share. And I want to hear from Pastor Jeff too, but I, I, I think I understand what you're saying is we should understand it as like when people who are in pain, who are not being heard and they're screaming louder and they're still not being heard and they're screaming louder and they're still not being heard. And then they're just, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs. That's the way we should look at that response. There, there was a quote from Martin Luther King on this. And uh, he said that the riot is the language of the unheard. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it's those that are, we're not being, we don't get heard any other way. And so, you know, it's not right, but um, it's also wrong that, that, that they live with, that we live with a, a certain level of unjust injustice and are not heard in the normal way. We should be able to, this, that court date should have done justice, but it didn't. And so, so many more cases like that, um, that in, in some communities, people are waiting you know what are if they don't act fast enough it's like the default setting is that we're going we're going to riot yeah and i think for me because i've been i i've been kind of pounding everybody with educate yourself stop listen learn hear other people's stories and what i was getting at bill 
and you just illustrated the point that I was trying to make, was that when you stop and listen to someone else's story, you realize that you have your own set of prejudices, things that you understand, be they right or wrong, doesn't matter, and assumptions that come from that life experience and many other things. What ultimately happens, and this is true for every one of us, and the answer will always be Jesus, but if we don't stop and listen, oftentimes we don't get a chance to ever get to the Jesus part. We keep we stay stuck. And so what happened with me is I, I began to do some research and just simply do some reading, try and find out why why it is that this is so volatile. And and the things that I discovered caused me, frankly, to sit and cry. I, I spent a lot of time just going, man, I, I just didn't know that. And it broke my heart. And I'll give you a couple of examples, and maybe you can you can help elaborate on how how someone who is black, someone who has an African heritage. I shared with the body, um, did my twenty three and Me thing. I'm, I actually have like uh, a, a very small percentage. So someplace in my ancestry, I, I'm related to you. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty cool. So we're fam. So, but what I was what I was studying is, and and this is not to say that everything's wrong and everything needs to be viewed this way. But I discovered that many of the people that we idolize as white evangelical Christians during the Great Awakening were also slave owners. Mm-hmm. What I discovered was that there was a Bible produced by the American Bible Society, which was founded by Congress and funded by Congress, produced a Bible that was specifically for slaves. It took out all the references to freedom in Christ. What, what I discovered was, as, as I looked at chattel slavery, which is what we had here in the United States of America, that not only could families be broken up, but siblings could be sold to different families. That sometimes women were used as broodstock. In other words, they were literally bred to produce more children. And the record that I saw was one, one woman gave birth to a, a child every year for 40 straight years. And those children, every one of them, were sold to someone else. And so when I talk about my collective memory, I go back to German, Irish, English, back to the great potato famine. And um, some of some of my ancestors came here to escape poverty in Europe. And I still have an affinity for my heritage, you know, kind of where I came from. And in much the same way, what I discovered was there was this link that most African-Americans have, most people uh, that are a little darker than me, <laughs> would say, yeah, that those are my people. That's my family. That's my heritage. And and it wasn't because I didn't want to know, but I was never taught. I, I didn't stop long enough to ask those questions. And once I asked those questions, it, it came to light that it was my understanding that needed to be enlightened so that I could understand how sensitive that issue would be for someone that that is their reality. That's where they start from. I didn't start from there. I, I started from a completely different place. And so my understanding in that sense was darkened towards those issues because I had no point of reference. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just as as you're discovering things that, you know, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Didn't know. Um, I, I think that's if, if there's something for believers that are listening and saying, "Man, I just want to be, I want to be able to be sensitive to those that I might come into contact with, those in the body, those that I'm trying to reach for the Lord." Um, sometimes it is as, as we take in 
as we listen to, as we as we hear about other people's situations, and we can we can then grow a compassion or, or at least an understanding of where someone else may be coming from. And so I think the desire to do that is is significant. You know, it says, hey, I care about you. I care about where you came from, I care about what you're going through. And my situation may not be yours, but I can still I can still hear and have genuine concern and care for for you and where you're coming from. I think I think that contextually is is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in First Corinthians nine, when he said to the Jew, "I become a Jew," to the Greek, "a Greeks," and and then he gave the reasoning for it. He said, "I have become all things to all men that I might win some." In other words, give that. That's my key to getting to getting there. That understanding, and and not just going, well, you know, you're Jewish or you're Greek or you're black and I'm white, and that guy over there is Filipino and. Alex is Armenian, so, yep. you know, and your people were persecuted. Yes, we Nearly were. wiped out. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what we've said many times already is that everybody needs Jesus. The racists need Jesus and the rioters need Jesus, and Jesus is the answer. And the church needs to be not divided around this issue, but united to hold up Jesus to speak clearly in the midst of chaos that, hey, everybody, the answer is Christ. Amen. Amen. So that's the, the rioting question and the looting question. Um, there was another question. Somebody is asking, uh, maybe you could speak to this, Pastor Bill, how should this person or all of us respond when we hear our friends and family make racist comments? As Christians, right. what's, our, what's our responsibility to that moment? So I think we definitely can't say nothing. Um, if nothing else, I think to let someone know, don't do that in front of me. I'm not a partaker of that. I don't, I don't feel that way. So uh, as a black person, if someone were to make fun of a white person, now the black person, if I'm with some black friends and we make fun of each other, you know, it's all good. If, if, even if I'm with, I got white friends and we bag on each other. Steve Pearson, what's up, homie? Um, you know, we, we, we it's, it's all good. But if in general, if I'm with someone and it's just straight racist comment and they're bashing or I think as a believer, that's where you step up and say, hey, don't do that. You know, I, I, I don't share that view. You know, I don't feel that way. I, I'm not, I'm not going to make fun of someone that I believe is made in the image of God. And, you know, and I, I believe that we should embrace what we are. If God made me, God made me black. I embrace that. I don't want to be nothing else. And I can't be nothing else anyway. So if God had made me Mexican, I would be a, I'd be a down Mexican. You know, if, if he had made me white, whatever we are, we embrace it. And whatever God has made someone else, I realized they had nothing to do with what they, what package they came in. Um, but, but they're made in the image of God. And so, um, I want to embrace, I want to love, I want to, I want to have a respect for that. I definitely don't want to be found making fun of someone that that's not what I am. Um, cause I, I think that that offends God as well, you know, mm-hmm. who, who made them in his image unique. Yeah. Isn't it beautiful? Like variety just shows the creative power of right. God and we yeah. should celebrate it. Right. And not, yeah. not demean it. Exactly. Did you want to add to that? Yeah, it's kind of like we, we always talk about this church being like a giant bag of Skittles from Anthony Evans was here and he said that. It's like, man, think about when we get to heaven. It is, it is going to be, you know, there's not going to be little neighborhoods everywhere. We're citizens of the, of the same home, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and I would actually approach that even a little stronger. I think it has to be roundly, strongly, categorically condemned. And I think that that actually is one of the things that, I believe everyone can do, but especially, especially those of us who are white. And, you know, let's just, let me speak to my white brothers and sisters right now. Um, We have to condemn racism. 
wherever we see it. We, we need to speak to it categorically and authoritatively and say this can't go on any longer. And especially for us who name the name of Christ, um, it is an anathema to the Lord Jesus for us to, to for us to speak about someone in a demeaning way or act towards them in a demeaning way for whom Christ died and and who was made in His image. Um, we, we've all been created in His image, and so uh, we we all bear the imprimatur of Christ. We we all have the imago Dei. We're, we we are, are we are one in that sense, and we shouldn't allow no more than we'd allow our children to to take sides and say, well, there's two of the kids that don't belong in this family. Uh, we should not allow these types of things to be said um, ever, not in our homes, not in our public square. It just has to be condemned outright and flatly. And I, and I would add that Christian households uh, have been guilty, you know, that a Christian house could be a black family, a white family, a Hispanic family, an Asian family. Uh, it shouldn't be the tone in your home shouldn't be that, you know, we, we put down that group or we don't Amen. feel, we don't feel, we don't, we, we feel some kind of way about that group. And so uh, for those that are saying that they're Christian and your leader, leaders of your household, um, that shouldn't be the case. I've, I've heard of Christians that grew up in homes and, and they've let me know, like, yeah, my, my family let me know, like, you know, you can marry, you can marry anybody except one of those, you know, or, and these are Christians, supposedly, you know, Christian yeah. households that have made those sort of statements. So I would, I would, I would say, yeah, much as we wouldn't clown or make fun of someone for being something else, um, my rule to my kids is just don't bring nobody home that's not saved. Mm. You know, believers marry believers, you know, so I don't care, I don't care what color they are, just let them be saved. Yeah. Like if I can fellowship with them, you can marry them. You know? <laughs> so, so Christians should not make yeah. racial comments and we should not allow racial comments. And I, let me say this, because I do clown and joke. So we shouldn't make, and I, I'm saying when it's derogatory, it's a slur. I'm, I am... I don't like that group. I'm putting them down. Uh, I want to. I want to distance that from. I just have. I have a lot of friends that we play, um, and it's it's. But it's a mutual thing. I I got black friends that we bag on each other, it, but it's not racial. It's it's. We're just having fun. To me, that's very different than you know. If, if I really kind of felt like, and I don't. I don't like this group, and I'm I'm bagging on them. I'm putting them down. So, right. um, yeah, yeah. That's good. yeah. I, I would I would also think, and I think this is super important because there's there's so much talk right now against. Um, I think law enforcement has almost been thrown into a group of people to where they're being universally castigated, and they do a tough job. Uh, we have uh, nearly a million uh, police officers in this country, and not not every one of them is a racist and not every one of them is bad. Um, Bill, as I was sharing with you, my brother, whom I'm very, very, very proud of, who loves the Lord, who loves people, um, there's not a racist bone in his body. And, and I actually posted, you know, and, and got a couple of negative comments that, that neither he nor three of my nephews are also law enforcement. Pastor Pat, I think he has five law enforcement officers uh, in his family. They love the Lord. They love people. And, and they, that, there's not a racist bone in their body, and so I think I think sometimes those racial things then can affect other areas of life, like our, our yeah. view of people who are doing their best to do a difficult job, and and, and I think we, we we as the church have to be the ones that speak out and say, no, this this can't happen. This is not what a child of God would do. 
Yeah, I think we have to, you know, discriminate to a degree because um, there's there's wicked in every package. There's yeah. wicked white people, wicked black people, wicked. There's wicked past. There's there's men that are in our profession that that if we, if we wouldn't want to be thrown in the bag with some of those guys. Amen. And I would say the same thing with law enforcement. There's some wicked men that are that do that job among a bunch of wonderful men and women that do that job. And so, uh, yeah, we have to be careful that I, I certainly don't want to be thrown under the bus as a pastor because some other pastor somewhere else has done some wicked, horrible thing. And I know there's a lot of cops right now that are, you know, I feel bad for the good guys that are, they got targets on their backs because of, what some wicked men have done. And so, um, so yeah, we definitely don't want to be throwing the baby out with the bathwater in, in that sense. And, um, you know, those that do wicked classify them as what they are. And, um, but I, yeah, we don't, I, I think it would be unfair. Uh, and it wouldn't even be, it would be unchristian to say all of them. Um, because if that was done to me or if that was done to you, which it could be done, you know, so I'm black. So if some black guy does something somewhere, then they, if someone says all black guys are like this, I don't want to be in that boat. You know, I'm, I'm my own individual person. So I think we have to give that yeah. to law enforcement and otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. How about one more uh, question about race? And then we have a, a bunch of other questions, marriage questions, relationship questions. I definitely want to give some time awesome. to some of these as well. Um, last one about race is, this person says racial recognition is important and right, but I rarely hear about how doing so glorifies God. Would you both racial recognition or racial reconciliation? Oh, I'm sorry. Racial reconciliation. Thank you. How does that glorify God? I think that racial, when, when, when we can come together um, in a, in a, in a, in a world where it is broken in the world, there is, racial divide in our world. So if in the church of Jesus, because of Jesus, we can, we can reconcile this, you know, if me and pastor Jeff, you know, we got different backgrounds, different places. We're not the same kind of guy, but we have for years have had a relationship because of Jesus. And I think that's the unique thing in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Calvary Chapel South Bay is maybe one of the most diverse churches I've ever gone into. I see black and Asian, Samoan, Hispanic. I see it's a rainbow. Some everybody up in here, you know? And so when you come, you realize that, you know, at, at the foot of the cross, there's this equality. Everybody needs the same thing. And everybody enters into relationship with God the same way. And I think the world should be able to look to the church for how to do it. The world should look at this church and look at all these different types of people and different backgrounds and different social and financial status all coming together to worship and say, what, what, what do they have in common? What is this? And, and what you guys have in common, what we have in common is Jesus, that he's our savior, that he died for us and he, he rose from the grave and we've made him Lord of our lives. So I believe racial reconciliation is important. I believe the church of Jesus Christ should lead the way. We should be able to model that to the rest of the world. Um, and, and that can begin here, you know? And so it could be, begin with people in the church that realize you know what? I haven't I haven't honored God in how I've handled this. You could repent and just and lay that down and love people and and, and move forward in that. This should be the place though uh, where the model is set, um, and I do believe it. It glorifies God in that um, God has called us to be as one. God says that me and Jeff, you know, He told me He has some black DNA in him, but even without that, because God is yeah. our dad, you know, we're family. <laughs> this is this is my brother in Christ this is the eternal family of God. And so I, I do, I do believe it glorifies God 
when we flesh that out, when we live that out in the, in, in the body here. And um, that, that's my hope, even where I'm at in Inglewood. You know, we got some diversity and, uh, and I love it. I want more and more of it. I want, I want the church to look like heaven, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so it, it glorifies God when we reconcile and when we have peace because we can model to a broken world that it can be done and how it can be done. It'll be done through Christ. And of course, that, that's the mission that Christ came. He came to reconcile men back to God. And so at the heart of Jesus's mission is reconciliation. And the interesting thing is, when you look at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, he, was a, he first reconciled men through healing, curing sickness, uh, demonic possession, hunger. He, you know, he handled all kinds of things in order that he would have the door to speak that message of reconciliation to God. In other words, he, he feeds his crowd and everybody's wandering around going, well, what's this all about? Well, what's this all about is the gospel and ultimately uh, Christ crucified and him for the remission of sin so that we might understand that we can have our relationship with God restored and be, and be reconciled. And so I think reconciliation itself and whether that's racial reconciliation, which is the deepest need that we see in our country right now, this divide that's happened and, and these things that are seemingly you know, tearing apart at the fabric of our country, if we can bring reconciliation in that temporal situation, in other words, in the situation that is, um, is something that, that ultimately is not the determining factors of whether we go to heaven. If we can get there, then I have the ability to speak into that person's life. If they don't hate me and I don't hate them, if we can be reconciled there, that's the time that I get to be able to speak the good news. Mm. But if we're busy hating each other, I'm never going to get that opportunity. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I, one thing, I, I look at when Jesus put his, his team together. You know, he had, a, he had a, a tax collector and a zealot. These are guys that would have never, they would have never been friends. They would have never hung out. They, they would have hated each other, you know, just innately. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, but he made up the disciples and that group of people that apart from him, they would have never come together, but because of him, they're brothers and they're walking together and they're serving in, they're actually doing gospel ministry together. And I think that's what we want to see in the church that people that maybe in the world, we would have never come together. We would have nothing in common, but in Christ, we have everything in common. And we, we, we not only have everything in common, we come together and we, we walk together in mission. We walk together in gospel ministry Amen. together. Mm. Amen. Pray that the Lord uses this time to bring many racists to repentance and that they would become just incredible lovers of, of people. Maybe they'll become missionaries to foreign Amen. lands. That would be amazing. Um, Want to answer some questions that came in about marriage. And uh, we're going to do just one or two of these, and then we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into the text messaging question. So I believe the text message number will come up on the screen magically here shortly, and you can begin texting those. Whatever questions you have, it doesn't have to be about race. It could be really about anything. Um, So I want to ask, this person says, uh, this is kind of a heavy question. Um, I recently confessed sexual sin to my wife after years of being married to her. I confessed the sins prior to marriage, meaning he confessed the sins that he did prior to marriage and the ones that he also did while they were married. Um, I believe it was my acceptance of Jesus and the spirit that pushed me to do this because I thought I could live with it and fix it myself. Uh, I believe this has helped our marriage, but it was not easy. The question is this, what advice 
do you give to couple couples after these confessions so that they can learn to use it for strength in their marriage um, rather than lead to bitterness and distrust? Either of you want to speak into that? Yeah. Um, so one, I would say awesome that you received the Lord. Awesome that the spirit moved you to confess and to get things out of the dark and into the light where God can begin to work. Um, those are wonderful things. And it's, and I applaud him for yielding to God and doing so. Um, now the backside of it, it was difficult to do but he did it. And he should know that the, the backside of it can be difficult in this way. If I were speaking to his wife, I would be encouraging her to, to just walk in forgiveness. You know, if, if you've chosen to forgive him and to stay with him, that, you know, you would really forgive and, and, and leave it in the past. If I were speaking to him, I would say, um, don't demand anything, you know, um, and you really don't get to say much about how long it takes them to trust you again as you, you've broken trust. So, um, you know, if, if you break trust and, and then they're, they're not as trusting, you need to be patient and let the Lord just pray for your wife and continue to show yourself faithful and let the Lord heal it in his time. Uh, but don't be in a rush to see things. You know, he may, he may be wanting, you know, her to trust him a hundred percent, you know, how long is it going to take? And, you know, you can't, you don't really get to put a timer on that, that, um, you have to let the Lord heal her heart in her own time. And so I would say to be patient, you've done good so far and just continue to be patient. And let the Lord heal your wife and don't give her any new reasons mm-hmm. not to trust you. Yeah, the Apostle Paul said that, you know, we as husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And and in that sense, um, there's been a life of selfishness that's been lived. And that selfishness bears fruit. You know, whenever whenever you're selfish, then then you've been, in essence, serving and pleasing yourself. And so I would say focus on on now serving and pleasing your wife, doing anything and everything uh, that that can help her uh, not only get that trust that needs to be there, which may be a long time coming. Yeah. It can take a long time, but also you have to die to yourself. In other words, it's not about uh, what we men normally like to see. And that's like, here's the problem. Here's how to fix it. It's now officially done. Um, that doesn't work in marriage. It has to be that there's a process there. And uh, you just forfe- basically just forfeited his right to be able to speak to that situation uh, in, in any type of way to where he has the upper hand. We see a lot of, especially Christian men, who are really good at quoting the verses that apply to their wives, and they forget the ones that apply to them. Mm-hmm. And so spend your time recognizing what applies to you and put all your effort into that. Yeah. I, I have a little bit to share. I'm going to be really transparent here so that in hopes that it would help somebody. Lord, help me. Um, I got married really young. I was 22 and I carried a lot of uh, lustful habits into my marriage that my wife knew nothing about. And I carried on with those for several years until the Lord in his goodness exposed all of it. And it was it was like a slow motion explosion is the only way I can describe it. What it did to my wife, um, the pain that it caused her and uh, the heartache, the distrust. And through that experience, it wasn't easy. When I say slow motion explosion, I mean, it took months and months. Every day you wake up and you get up and you deal with the chaos. And um, eventually we started to build rhythms around having talks about it. And how am I doing in that area, this and that. And for some marriages, this does not work. It, it, 
the woman can't handle it. Um, so men should be confessing to other men. In some marriages, it does work, and we can't prescribe that it works for everybody and everybody should. I know people who disagree with me greatly that my wife is my accountability partner. That's okay. It works for, for me and my marriage, one, because I don't want to hurt her like that, you know? So it, it hurts me so much to see how much I hurt her. It keeps me from doing stupid things. So uh, with that said, you know, you just, you get up, you continue to have the conversation on a somewhat regular basis, and don't be surprised if she's hurt every time. And don't get defensive or be mad that she's mad because she has the right to be mad. And um, over many years, we've gotten to the place where we are able to talk about it without it being this emotional explosion. And it has dramatically like, helped me as a man in this area to have her help me in this area and be accountable. So I would just say, be patient. Uh, it takes time. And like you too said, the man has no right to be mad or defensive that his wife is mad. Um, yeah. So um, you're on the same team and you want to help each other walk to the Lord. We, when, when it all first happened and we started to begin talking about these things, we just said, in our marriage, we want to help each other make it to heaven. We want to help each other make it to heaven. That is why we exist. We, we're going to link arms and we're going to get there together. And so for whoever asked the question, I hope that helps. Um, another question about marriage, and then we're going to get into a little break and a song, is, uh, this is the last one for now. Uh, this is a woman who recently renewed her faith in the Lord, but her husband is an unbeliever. The husband, though, encourages his wife and says, hey, when our baby's born, go to church, all that stuff. And he even believes that there's some sort of God, though he does not believe in Jesus, and he's a bit skeptical. And so her question is, how do I explain Jesus to my non-believing husband? And really, what advice uh, do we have, you know, to give her? Yeah, actually, Peter Peter addresses this, and he basically (laughs) just, you're going to pull it out? Go ahead and and get the verse. Yeah, but... uh, First Peter, first Peter three. three. Yeah. Um, well, Peter said, um, "Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands." And he said that even if some do not obey the word, uh, whether they're a non-believer or they're a disobedient believer, they may be won without a word from their wife by their wives as they observe observe, observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And so, um, it's basically encouraging the wife not to nag him but let her life be a, a witness, you know, without a word, you know, that not that she can't share with him, but that her testimony that she lives before him, um, he's living with someone that's got the spirit of the living God in them. And, and he likes her. It sounds like he loves yeah. his wife. So yeah. um, yeah. she's the closest one to him. And so she's, um, her life can speak volumes to him that God will speak to her obedient Christian witness. And, um, and, and that it may take more faith to believe God will work through that than some words. But that's what he says. I, I love what D.L. Moody said. He said, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. You know, our lives are are oftentimes actually more capable of preaching the gospel to people than, than our uh, failed attempts sometimes to share the actual gospel itself. Now, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God in Romans 10, 17 is, is clear. But uh, I think when we do live out our faith, People believe what you do over what you say almost 100% of the time. I think the race issue is that. 
you know, it, it, people would believe that we actually love, care, and have compassion if we actually do acts of love, caring, and compassion. If we say we're going to do them, eh, not so sure that we're going to believe that. We'd like to, but the actions speak louder than the words. And so live it out um, and pray a lot, a ton, mm. intercede for your husband, and uh, don't, don't give the enemy any, any opportunity, any foothold uh, to, to, you know, wreak havoc. Yeah. Um, my, one of, one of our, one of my guys, my, my, our administrator, uh, at our church, um, his wife for years, uh, was a witness and, and he, you know, he ended up getting, he got saved later in life. Um, but for years she just was a solid witness and to see a man get saved in his, you know, late sixties, almost 70. And he's, he's going strong. I mean, just, you know, on fire for the Lord and running with the Lord, but his wife for years, I mean, raised the kids and the Lord and on her own and was always turning on Jay Vernon McGee and on people on the radio and stuff like that. And, um, her witness was strong and eventually, you know, God got a hold of, of him. Now they, they're living out their days in the Lord together. And that's, that's a blessing. It's yeah. beautiful. So just like husbands should be patient when they, uh, yeah. you know, are messing up, wives should be patient when they're waiting for their husbands to come yeah. to the Lord. Um, all right, we're going to continue on with some questions, some fun, um, or maybe not fun. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, how, about, how about one from a 13-year-old? Okay. Love uh, my 13-year-old goddaughter asked, how exactly did the devil become the devil? What was the action that got him cast out of heaven. That's actually recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, and, and if you look there, we, we call it the I wills of Satan. And basically, if you look at who he was prior to this, he had the exalted position of effectively the worship leader as a cherub in heaven. Uh, he, he was responsible for the praise of God. Um, but there, there came a point in time, and we do believe that angels, exactly as human beings, are created, um, at least that they were at that point in time with the free will. And so uh, he decided that I will exalt myself above the highest heights. I, I will become ultimately like the most high God. In other words, he kind of invented at that moment in time uh, what we might call secular humanism or putting man-centered, or in this case, uh, angelic centrism. In other words, he, he decided to become his own God and worship himself. So it's really a, the the central sin there is really pride and exalting oneself above God. Yeah, I agree. I, I, would just, uh, I was just looking at the verses that say it. So uh, I, would, I would point them to what you said, Isaiah 14, uh, verses um, 11 through 14. And um, and there you can read it. You can see it, you know, what he was. Um, like Pastor Jeff said, you can see the I wills. And the last I will, he said um, in verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. And then verse 15 says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So uh, interesting that, um, you know, he said, I'll, I'll be like the most high. And then he tempted Eve in the garden that said, you could be like God, knowing good and evil. The same thing that got him thrown out, um, he threw as a temptation. So, yeah. Amen. Pride. Watch out for pride, you guys. Um, okay, real quick. This is not a question. This is a statement to you, watchers and listeners. Um, this is very important. So we, unfortunately, messed up. I'll take responsibility. And we were showing the wrong text message number. So I'm going to tell you 
the new number to text to right now. So copy and paste your message and your email address. And I want you to send it to 562-546-2279. Maybe we'll get a graphic up there eventually with that number. Very sorry for that. Text it in anyway, because like I said, we have a whole team of pastors who are going to be answering these questions for you. Okay, so you will get an answer in the next few days. All right, thank you for understanding. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the eternal state. Okay, we have two questions. I'm going to combine them. Um, One of them says, will I see my family as they were on earth in heaven or as angels? Will I be able to recognize them? The second question is, For the millennial here on earth, will we live in regular physical bodies? And the last question is, can you explain the new heavens and the new earth? I know that's a lot, but it's about our bodies. Will we recognize people? And what's up with the new heaven and the new earth? What is that all about? So, All right. I'd start with um, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 12 um, says for we, we see um, now we see, you know, kind of in a, in a glass dimly, then we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part, then I'm going to know even as I am also known. And so um, one of the, the glories of the eternal state is, uh, I've heard it said, I, I won't be any dumber then, you know, so uh, we'll know even as we're also known. So we'll, we'll have perfect knowledge. I do believe we'll be able to identify people. We'll know people that we didn't previously know um, uh, in the eternal state. So we'll have We'll finally know, uh, not know at all, but we'll be, you know, we'll have, we'll have knowledge. We'll know who we're looking at and what's going on. So, um, yeah. Thanks. Amen. Yeah. You're, you're not only going to be known, but we shall be, we shall be as they are actually, uh, the extrapolation there is that when we get to get to heaven, we're going to actually have the capacity to love like God loves us. And so, you know, even our friendships will be deepened and, mm. you know, things that we, we knew in part here, or we, we kind of got it a little bit like being a husband or being a wife or being a, a father or a son or a mom or a, you know, a daughter or whatever, mm-hmm. we'll actually, we'll have complete capacity to, to have those relationships as they should have been in perfection here. Mm. I kind of look at it in the millennial state that we get back what Adam and Eve messed up. Remember, Adam, Adam and Eve kind of got a chance to, to dictate a little bit for all of us. When, when Adam fell, all fell, so as we now inherit that, you know, his, his fallen sin nature. And so he, he got to walk with God in the cool of the day. Well, we didn't get that chance. And I, I always have looked at the millennial reign like that's going to be an opportunity for us to experience what Adam had, but he gave up. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the bodies and knowing each other, new heavens and new earth. Now, um, can I take a stab at that? Oh yeah, yeah, go right. for it. So you're being judged right now. Yes, Bill I, and I, are getting, I might we got get, scorecards right I'm gonna here. We're going to hold them. Give up. a theological answer, and I might get fired after this. Okay, so you know, in Revelations 22, we we hear that you know the New Jerusalem, which is the holy city of God, where He dwells forever, will come and be on the earth. And so the new heavens and the new earth are what the Lord, he's going to completely restore, renew, redeem all of creation. And I think a lot of times we think, oh, when we die, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to float around on clouds. By the way, I don't know if either of these guys said, when you go to heaven, you don't become an angel. You don't get wings. You're, no. you're not a cherub. You're not on a cloud with a harp. You are you, the real you, the essence of you. And then when God restores all creation, we're getting our glorified bodies yes. back, baby. Yeah. You know, we're going to be 
buff and attractive and young and all that, right? Maybe, I don't know. But, um, but we're going to be on a, on a new earth and our eternity. Wishful thinking. Wishful. I'm going to have dreads. I believe. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to be happy to have hair. <laughs> but, but I think we, we forget that the final state of believers is with God forever in a redeemed creation. Yeah. Like solid, not floating in clouds, right. real life, hugs, friendship, joy, joy. hopefully food right? I think sometimes Christians don't get taught, you know? They think, oh, I get saved, I go to heaven, I float around in the clouds. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all coming to full, like, rec- reconciliation, completion. The circle will be complete where how God intended it to be, it will finally be, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. And I, I just was going to add that, you know, because there are a lot of people that think, you know, we get, you know, people say things and someone dies, oh, they got their wings. Um, and, you know, so we don't, Angels, wings is what we get when we go. Human beings are are distinct creatures. We're distinct in that, uh, in our purpose. We're we're both created beings. We're the only two eternal beings that God created. Um, uh, but we're different and distinct. And the Bible talks about in Corinthians how that, um, in the eternal state, that human beings in in our glorified state will actually judge the angels. Um, and so we're we won't become angels. We're gonna we're going to actually judge the angels in the eternal state. Mm-hmm. Speaking of resurrection, somebody just texted in, um, do we need a body to be resurrected? Like what about cremation? Are our ashes scattered in the sea? Does that mean we're not going to get a resurrection? I, I, I think if, if, the, if the universe could be created ex nihilo from nothing, I, I'm pretty sure the Lord can find all of the parts that were previously you and, and give you a resurrected body, no matter what state they were in. Because I, I got asked that question. I said, so what you actually, because you felt like you, if you were cremated, you, you know, there's no way you could be resurrected. So if you happen to be someone who was, say, vaporized by an atomic weapon, then you can't go to heaven. Mm-hmm. So, so now there's certain conditions placed on who can go to heaven and who can't. And so, of course, the Lord can give you a, a fully resurrected body and he can gather the parts from wherever he needs to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, imagine someone that died in a fire. Yeah. Or someone that died, you know, a thousand years ago, they might as well have been cremated at this point. You know, right? You ever just, you ever checked gone. out what's inside of a coffin? It's not a good thing. Right, right. So you know, um, if 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 absent from the body, present with the Lord, I don't think it matters what happened at that moment. You're gone, and and it's a supernatural thing that God is going to resurrect in our bodies in the first place. So rather, He's bringing it out of a grave, bringing it out of the sea, bringing it out from dust. Um, you know, like he said, if the, the, the God that said and there was is, is going to be the one that's in charge of making it happen. So mm-hmm. I think we can, we can rest assured that we'll be resurrected. Whatever happened to our bodies after we left it. Are you ready for this? Yep. Very short. Why does Pastor Jeff have a pinky ring? Go ahead. <laughs> well, if you look at my pinky ring, you'll actually find 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight in Hebrew. And it is to remind me to pray for the people of Israel. And it is my life verse. So there you go. That's why I have it. That's right. Um, here's a question about... A question, man. <laughs> I know, it's a good question. Somebody wants me to sing an Armenian song. Sorry, I don't know any. Uh, my wife uh, wants to know if she can sing worldly... Oh, no, otherworldly songs, meaning like songs in the spirit, or maybe they mean worldly songs, like songs on the radio. I'm not sure exactly how this question is phrased. Um, 
is it a sin to sing? Let's just go with the worldly songs. Is it a sin to sing worldly songs? Who created music? God. I I think, you know, the, the, the lyrics themselves would dictate whether those things are appropriate for a child of God. If they have a specific meaning or they drag you into the world, uh, were to be in the world, not of the world. You could make the same case for why don't all women wear granny dresses or, you know, why why don't we all have this type of garment or that? Those are external things. They have no bearing on one's uh, soul unless you allow them to have, you know, some spiritual meaning to you. If there's something that's a stumbling block, then you want to avoid them. But if it's, you know, you happen to, you know, enjoy whistling a bebop tune or, you know, I, I was listening to some young man. He was doing a spoken word thing and then he kind of broke into a rap. And, you know, I, he was like off on some other place with the Lord Jesus. I didn't quite get it, but he was thrilled with it. And I was like, I was praised. I was praising Jesus because he was praising Jesus. Right. Yeah, I would say with, you know, regard to like if it's worldly music that they're speaking of, there's obviously secular music that is. I think it's benign. It's not wicked. It's just like, ah, it's just a song. Then there's worldly music that is, you know, pornographic and demonic and wicked uh, in the things that are being said. So I would, I would say, yeah, if someone's a believer, um, you know, and, and they're singing that kind of song, I would say, yeah, I mean, I would challenge the believer. Like, you know, why are you, why do you, why would you listen to that? You know, that, um, anything that's not a faith is sin. So, uh, I think we should be careful what we sow in because what the Bible says, you know, whatever we sow, we're going to reap is going to be coming forth from our lives. So, um, but I would make that distinction. You know, I've always, my rules always been with regard to music and movies and this, that, and the other. If I couldn't do this with Jesus present, who's always present, then I probably shouldn't do it. You know, that's good. Um, and that way no one, no one else can put it on me. I can, I can decide that for myself. That's really good. A um, t- couple questions coming in kind of about, will I make it to heaven or how do I get to heaven? Let me read them both. One person is asking, if I get baptized, will God send me to heaven? The other person is struggling with the opposite uh, question where they did something um, when they were backslidden, they had an extramarital affair and it's something that I'm extremely ashamed of. I have confessed this and have asked for forgiveness. With that being said, will I go to hell for what I did? It's something that lays heavy on my heart every day. So two questions. Which one you want to go for? I'll get the first one. So um, if you get baptized, will you get saved? Will you go to heaven? No, you'll just be wet. <laughs> so uh, in order to be saved, the Bible says that it's, now believers should be water baptized. Uh, okay. We should all follow Jesus in water baptism. But baptism won't save you. If you get saved without putting your faith in Jesus Christ, um, you're just a wet sinner. You might as well jump in a pool and be wet. So um, what the Bible says you need to do to be saved or be born again, it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, a true confession that Jesus is Lord of your life, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that Jesus resurrected, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so as you, you know, place your faith, faith in the finished work of Jesus, know that you're a sinner, that God loved you so much he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in your place, take all your sins upon himself. And after he died, three days later, he rose from the grave in victory and he conquered sin, death, and Satan for you. And as you believe in that he did that for you, as you place your faith in that his finished work, and submit to him as Lord, the Bible says that he will save you, uh, that his spirit will come and dwell inside you, take up residence in you, and God will begin to transform you. You'll never be the same. And then you should get baptized too. Uh, but it's believing 
in the finished work of Christ for salvation. Yeah. Case in point, the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't get a chance to be baptized. Didn't have time. He 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 kinda he kinda got there way before baptism. Yeah. Amen. How about the woman who's ashamed of the yeah. extramarital? This affair? is such a great what a great question. Mm-hmm. And and if you're listening, I I want to just assure you the fact that you even care is a sure sign that the spirit of the living God is working in your life. And that's one of those works, uh, by the works of the flesh is no one justified. So it's not what you do or don't do. It isn't, uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God. And as we believe, as Pastor Bill just said, as we confess the Lord Jesus Christ, um, his name is the only name whereby anyone can be saved. It doesn't say his work is the thing that we need to do ourselves. Uh, he, he saved us by grace and through faith and that not of ourself it is a gift. And so if you have confessed that sin and you believe that the Lord has forgiven that sin, which First uh, John 1, 9 says, if you confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse. Uh, that's the end of the story for the child of God. It, it's, it's in that confession, that releasing it to the Lord to say, Lord, I'm ashamed of this. I agree with your assessment of my condition. I'm giving it to you. Uh, you're the Lord of my life. I, I no longer, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And that life that I live, I now live to please him. You don't do those things going forward. Um, you, you're going to hear those words, welcome, uh, good and faithful servant into the kingdom of rest. Amen. Amen. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions yep. from us. Amen. Um, Maybe one more? One more? Okay. Yep. Um, I just want to, Reiterate, though, we did mess up with our text messaging number. Forgive us. Please uh, submit um, the resubmit your text messages to the new number that is probably showing right now as I speak magically. And please submit them. And please put your email address in your question so that we can respond to you after this is over if it doesn't get answered. So we're only going to do one. You sure? That's, uh, all right. All right. No, 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 no. All right. We're going long. Okay. So this is the last one. I should make it. A great one. There's lots of great. Yeah, there's almost too many. Um, let's go with, let's go with, uh, sorry guys. How about this? Um, from a medical perspective, all of our lives are dictated from our brains, our personalities, our higher thinking, our decisions, basically everything that makes you, you. So if somebody is on life support, or brain dead, that brain is not making any functions. Are they in heaven already, even though they're being kept alive? The Bible is really clear that we're actually three parts. We're, we're body, soul, and spirit. And so the part that you're talking about medically is, is that soul part. That's the part that your cognition, that your thinking, that your emotions, it's a non-material part of you that's, that's attached to uh, this meat computer we have is, uh, you know, somewhere around four to six pound thing that's in your head that we call a brain. Um, when you're brain dead, that doesn't kill your spirit. That's actually the part that's still alive. And so the Lord, it says, the Bible plainly declares to us that it's appointed in a man one time to die and then judgment. Um, we don't go to heaven until God says so. Um, so it does appear uh, that the physical cessation of life, which would be terminated by your brain shutting off, which then shuts down the physical part of you, um, would signal that time when the spiritual part of you 
now comes in contact with that judgment, which would be either judged in Christ or would be judged without Christ, which means you either had uh, to be judged at the, at the second death, which is the great white throne, or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so um, we don't know when God makes that transaction, transaction, but we do know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so that seems to be tied to our physical death. Okay, that's good. All right, well, it's been quite a night. And we're really grateful. Pastor Bill, thank you for being here. Pastor Jeff, yeah, thank you for amen. your wisdom. You guys are awesome. Um, Glad to have you back. That was that was Yeah, so we're going to have fun. to keep... Anytime, we, by the way, we got, again, over 200 questions submitted just like last time. So thank you for all the amazing questions. Like I said, we promise we will get answers to you if you provided your email address. Um, that'll happen over the next seven days. Also, um, if you didn't know, we've done several Ask the Pastors previous to this one and the last one. And a lot of the questions that you guys have sent in have already been answered. I believe you can find those on YouTube. And in the next couple of weeks, we have some exciting news. We're going to be releasing an app with all of Pastor Jeff's previous sermons in series and also a Ask the Pastor series where all of the questions from all the previous Ask the Pastors will be chopped up in small bite-sized format for you that you can scroll through and get answers to your questions. So that's coming in the next month. And so just be on the lookout. We'll let you know through email. And if we don't have your email yet, you can go to ccsouthbay.org slash connect and you can get uh, your email put in and then we'll let you know when you can get the app with Ask the Pastor and all the other sermon series on there. So that's a lot of information, but thank you guys for hanging in to the end. Thank you too. Um, Would one of you like to pray for us? Pastor Bill. Right. Father in heaven, we come before you. Uh, We thank you for a great night. Uh, Thank you for this time with my brothers, Lord, to uh, uh, just listen to and answer questions from your body. And um, God, I pray that um, everything that was shared, the things that were uh, from your word and from your spirit, Lord, I pray you would uh, be with the hearts and ears and minds that hear these things, Lord. I pray there'd be great receptivity, Lord. I pray that the fruit from our time tonight, that there'd be healing, that there be reconciliation and restoration, even salvation, Lord, for those that are in need of it. Uh, God, I pray you would continue to build your church. I pray you would continue to strengthen the body of believers, Lord, that is here at Calvary South Bay and even even the listening audience beyond. Uh, that God, in this, this strange hour that we're living in, that God, we would shine brightly in the dark, Lord, that we would we would just be distinct from the rest of the world because we're governed by you. Uh, We're directed by you and led by you and how we deal with the things that are going on. So God, fill us with your spirit. Uh, Help us to be those that are walking in wisdom, walking in love, walking in power, uh, that we might be a witness for you uh, at this this unique hour that we're living in. God, use your church uh, where everything is falling apart everywhere else. God, I pray here uh, there be healing and there be growth and there be strength and people will be built up. Your church would be the place where the world could come in and find refuge and healing and answers. Help us to be that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank amen. you, Brother Bill. It was Thank awesome. You, Thank you so much. See man. you really soon. Yeah. yeah, I'll see you guys on Sunday for church. God bless you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.